Hey everybody, welcome to episode five of the first season of the Recovering Hypocrite podcast. I'm your host and the chief recovering hypocrite around these parts, Noel Jesse Hakenen, and I want to start out today with an apology. I'm sorry I haven't kicked out a podcast the last couple weeks. I mean, the bottom line is I got some great excuses. You know, Thanksgiving was in there. My birthday was in there and, you know, I had to get all turned up as the kids say these days. I had a couple people cancel on me. I had a head cold, but the bottom line is I just didn't do it. I could have made something happen, but I didn't. And I figure since this podcast is all about the recovering nature of our Christianity, the fact that we're not quite there yet, I could confess my sin to you and say, hey, I was lazy. I just didn't get around to it, but I'm glad to be back in the saddle today. And and what we're going to do today is this is going to be the final episode of the first season, and I wasn't sure how many of these I was going to do, but this is going to be it because I know Christmas is coming, and I'm not going to get around to another one for a little while here, but I want to start out with a few things, and first, I want to say thank you. I I just didn't know how this podcast was going to launch and and if people were actually going to care, but the, uh, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. And so I just want to thank you for that. Thank you for telling me what you've thought about the topics, for uh, emailing me and telling me technical things I need to fix with the audio and the feed and stuff like that. And I've pretty much implemented everything I can at this point. I'm a one-man show, so you'll have to live with it for now. But thank you so much. If you do have a chance, I would love to have you jump online onto uh, wherever you get your podcast and leave a review. It, it will help uh, me get the word out about this. And so even if you don't like it, jump on and tell them how bad my feed and audio issues are, and we'll just go from there. But that's my first thing. Second thing is even though this is the last episode of the season, I think in the next week or two, I may throw out a bonus episode. So it won't be an official episode because it's going to break format. I'm not going to interview somebody, but for my next uh, time I'm on here, I'm going to talk about my new book, which is coming out on February 1st. It's called Wretched Saints. And I I think I want to tell you a little bit about that. And so I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm probably just going to sit down and ramble a little bit in the coming weeks, but just keep your eyes peeled for that. And my publisher has told me that I can give you a a free copy of the first chapter of the book. So if you'd like that, you can head over to noeljesse.com slash free. That's N-O-E-L-J-E-S-S-E dot com slash free, F-R-E-E. And you can sign up uh, to get a free copy of the first chapter of the book there. And I would love to get that in your hands and to hear what you have to uh, say about that as well. And so uh, thank you so much for uh, all the support this first season. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just dive right into the interview. Um, Earlier this fall, I had an opportunity to speak at a conference with a guy by the name of Thomas Terry. You may know him a little bit more as, uh, as, as part of the hip hop trio, Beautiful Eulogy, but we both spoke at a conference and we got talking there about um, this idea of artistry and that uniquely jacked up group of people of artists and creatives, especially within the church. And I said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to record a conversation about that. And so I I jumped on the phone, we got him online, and I had a chance to talk with uh, Thomas Terry, as well as Ryan Lister, who together um, wrote a book called Images and Idols. It's fantastic about creativity, but I'm just going to dive in by letting these guys introduce themselves to you, starting with you, Thomas. So I'm a pastor at Trinity Church of Portland. Also serve as the executive director for Humble Beast. Um, I'm one of three uh, in a hip hop trio called Beautiful Eulogy. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a father of two. 
Uh, and so, yeah, that's my world. Yeah, my name is Ryan Lister. I, I work at Western Seminary as a professor of theology. Uh, I also work at Humble Beast. I do uh, everything Thomas doesn't want to do, actually. Pretty, pretty much. Um, I'm the director of Doctrine of Discipleship. So wait, so wait, does that mean he doesn't like doctrine and he doesn't want to disciple people? Exactly. That's, exact, that's exactly right. I like <laughs> studying Bigfoot and things like that, and I leave the hard work to Ryan. That's right. I, he doesn't let me rap, so that's a good thing for the world. And uh, I'm also I'm also a prof- uh, pastor at uh, Trinity Church. All right. So if the two of you were like stuck on a, a desert island, and who survives? Like who lives the longest out of the two of you? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> Depends on where the island is. Like if it's uh, in L.A., Thomas is going to survive. If it's in the South or something, I'll probably survive. So. And it really is <laughs> largely dependent on whether uh, I have enough juice in my smartphone, because really that's like. Without it, I pretty much don't know how to build a fire. I don't know how to do anything. Does yeah? Does the does the island have Wi-Fi and is YouTube available? <laughs> That's basically where we're. Well, I learn on YouTube how to fix my toilet. Uh, I learn on YouTube how to plant. You know, like garden. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Plant what? Like I was gonna say, plant plants. <laughs> So yeah, I don't know who would survive. So you guys um, have written this uh, book um, uh, called Images and Idols that talks to and about creative types, artists in the church. I mean, who who really is this written for? Is it written for the creative? Is it written for people about the creatives? I think it's written for both the creative and it's also written for people uh, who are looking to understand creatives. So in one sense... Uh, the book is really for everybody, and 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 I would even go so far as to say that I think everybody is creative. So whether you self-identify as a creative uh, is one thing, but I think everybody uh, we're made in the image of God, and God is a creative God, um, and so being image bearers means that we are to be creative. And so, yeah. So in that sense, we're all creative. So the book's for everyone. So okay. So if if everyone is a creative in that sense, um, why? Um, and I guess maybe that's implied in that statement, but why do we create? I mean, why did God, as a creator, create us to create? What's the whole purpose behind that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it's to reflect his image into the world as he is a creative God. I mean, that's the first thing we, we, we learn uh, about our Lord um, out of Genesis 1, uh, that he is creating. And I think He's created us in that way to reflect that creative uh, work into the world. Simultaneously, I think it's also tied to our function uh, as image bearers. It's pushing us to say we are not only reflecting his image, but we're also reflecting his work in the world. So as we're called in Genesis 1, 28 and following this, that, that we're called to um to, to do the work, to exercise dominion, we're to do that in a creative and a beautiful way. And even if you think about it, at the very beginning of your Bibles, I mean, the, the reality of Eden is a, it, it's a glorious and beautiful reality. So the Lord is just pouring out all of his creative work in this space for uh, the first couple to be a reflection of himself and also to say, this is what I've called you to do. This is what I've called for you to take out into the rest of the world. So 
not only is it something that they can assess, that they can take in and enjoy, but it's also something they're to take and push out into the world as well. They're to, to it's it's an it's an example too. Mm. I was I'm in the middle of this crazy series at our church where um, we're working our way through the Bible one book at a time, preaching one sermon out of every book, and we are almost to Revelation. We are just about to close this sucker out. And I was studying Revelation this last week, thinking about that, and I I was struck by the the creative impulse of God in Genesis that gets reflected in Revelation, like the garden and even the rivers that are described as precious stones. And it's almost like uh, that's what John is saying all the time is like. He's like, it's like this. It's like this. It's almost that in his creative expression of what God has creatively expressed, He's having to use imagery. He's like, I, I don't know a word to describe this, but it's like this stuff. Yeah, I mean, in, in many ways, I've seen art and creativity as, uh, as sort of like a Rosetta Stone for understanding God. It, it's something that God gives to us so that we can conceptualize and understand something that is beyond conception and our understanding. So what it's doing is God is, uh, this is something we touch on in the book, mm-hmm. God, God creates in our lives to give us examples and metaphors by which we can then understand him and understand our own world. So he's not only creating, but he's creating metaphors to help us see him in his grandeur as much as a finite creature can. So in, in, in the book, you actually spend a little bit of time talking about the idea of art for art's sake in a sense, it's almost as if you're saying that art for art's sake is a good thing and it's what we're created for. And yet there's a challenge to that idea in your book. Uh, unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, art, I mean, art for art's sake is, is it, well, it's, it's really, really important uh, because what it's doing is it's demonstrating who you are. It's demonstrating the impulse that you have in you. Uh, the reality is, is that oftentimes that gets isolated. It becomes uh, ingrown. And so instead of it being art for art's sake, it starts to become art for the artist's sake. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is say, okay, ho- hold up. Yes, art for art's sake is beautiful and good. And we can sit here and we can reflect on the beauty of a piece of art. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that the heart of the artist is settled and and dealt with and addressed uh, so that it doesn't become art for the artist's sake. And it becomes sort of what begins to happen is there's a merging between the, the, the work and the artist so that this person is being put on the pedestal and their whole identity is sort of sucked into this act or into this particular uh, image or this particular artifact so that they're lost in their whole humanity. Yeah. into this one aspect of their humanity that God has given them. So it's yeah. it's beautiful and good in the fact that God has given them this aspect of their humanity and go and do and make beautiful things. But don't let it consume everything about you and that starts uh, being manipulated or permeated by, uh, by idolatry. Yeah, and so when you have the artist who is, when it's art for the artist's sake, all of his identity hinges on how good his art is. So that when he is critiqued, like all art is, uh, his soul is either crushed or elevated on the basis of his creative contribution. And so we want to help the artist to find freedom 
so that they're not just living for the praise uh, of men or dying by the critique of men. So it doesn't seem like that is a unique danger for creatives to have their identity be wrapped up in the things that they're creating, but it does seem like for at least a prototypically creative person that it's it's amplified in that type of personality. Is that what you've seen? And how do you help an artist in particular, a creative in particular, deal with that? Yeah, well, I mean, you would find the same thing in every aspect of life. So a businessman can begin to find his identity and his success as a businessman and all these things. But the thing that is unique to creatives is that they are building things. They are creating things that are all about their self-expression. So... Uh, so it's really uh, the things that they create are so connected to who they are that if what they create gets critiqued, they fall apart. If what they create is scrutinized in any way, they're crushed under the weight of that criticism. So creatives just are, are uniquely, uh, there's a unique challenge there for, for creative people. But it's universal in that everybody can find their identity in their work. Uh, just creatives are, that's just a different challenge for creatives. Here's, here's another, here's another thing I would say too, is um, the creative is going to be by nature um, getting really close to uh, aspects of who God is and the acts that he does. So the creative is creating things very much like our creator God does. And so they're, begins to become some confusion, especially if the creator creative is isolated uh, from that bigger picture, reminding themselves that they themselves are created, that they are reliant on other people and other things for, for life. And what, what begins to happen is there's a bubble that begins to take place and they begin to become sort of the center of that world. They become an idol, they become like gods in their own uh, framework. I, I think I think creativity sort of struggles, especially with that, because it's pushing them into uh, that kind of category. Probably a lot like uh, doctors probably struggle uh, as healers, the people who are uh, allow, helping people survive, et cetera, that they're doing, I mean, that's that's probably the cliche, like I, the doctor is I am God kind of statement, but they're... It, Though they wouldn't say it out loud, that's the that's the that's the challenge. That's the temptation in a lot of ways. So, is are there unique ways um, as so? I'm a pastor, and uh, there are probably a few pastors that uh, li are listening in. Are there unique uh, ways that pastors think wrongly about artists, um, and are there adjustments that we can make to really? Uh, disciple artists well and uh, in a sense um, include what they offer to the world into um, our faith communities in a healthy way? Yeah. I, I, can, I can speak to the first question. Uh, I think a great way to think about it is sort of two ends of a spectrum. I think a lot of churches are, given their context, uh, given uh, what their motivations are in ministry or what their mission is in ministry. Uh, a lot of times a church will give, like just take, uh, just give the world to the creative and just put them on stage, put the spotlight on and just 
allow them to be uh, a magnet for those who are going to be like and to think like them and to respond to them. Uh, they do that in a way that oftentimes, after a while, begins to feel like manipulation, that you're using me, that you're using me as an instrument to build your church, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes it does become that. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is that they are locked down completely. <laughs> uh, we don't understand you. We don't know what to do with you. So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to keep you over here uh, and we're not going to let you play with the rest of the team here. And so I, I think that now, now obviously there's in between on the spectrum, but those are the two I, th those are the two sort of poles that I think a lot of churches are struggling with. So yeah, and it, I, I think that there's there's balance that pastors need to have. So in one sense, um, you want to normalize the artists in your in your faith community. Because if you begin to only engage with your artists as artists, then they only begin to identify as artists. And, and, and you continue to perpetuate their identity issues as it pertains to artists. And so in many ways, you want to level it and normalize it and say, look, you are more than your art. Right? You're, you are a child of God. You are a part of this community, not on the basis of how well you perform, but on the basis of who you are in Jesus. You, you keep pushing that identity piece, and really what you end up helping them think about is a false gospel, that they have to work to earn approval and acceptance and all that stuff. So you, you in one side of the scale, you don't want to put too much weight or too much equity on their artistry. On the other side... You don't want to ignore it so that they feel, uh, you know, uh, you know, insecure about their artistry, or they're never given a place to use the gifts that that Jesus Himself has given to them for the benefit of the church. And so, really, it, it is two sides of the spectrum. You don't you don't want to accentuate one over the other. You want to kind of rest right in the middle. Just, I mean, normal discipleship is is really really important here. So you're not creating this whole sphere just for them. Uh, you're actually having different types of saints walking alongside them. Uh, one of the things that Thomas says uh, quite often when he's talking to creatives is they're thinking about, I just don't know how to fit in. I don't know how to get into my church. And, he's, uh, and he just says, well, stop trying to pick up the guitar and, and, and just pick up the vacuum cleaner. Like, just go serve. Serve alongside them. And, and simultaneously help them serve you. So it's, it's um, yeah, it, it, yes, we all comes with, come with these different gifts. Creatives, it's, it's going to be a little bit harder to conceptualize. Like, how do we fit them into these pieces? But, but that's a huge, massive, important move is to say you are, you are not just your gift. Uh, just like we say with most of the people in our church, we want you serving alongside those in the body who have different gifts from you so that you are working together. Yeah. It's the de-elevating de of the creative gifts as the end all, as if none of the other parts of the body matter. Uh, and that's what pastors continually do over and over and again. They put all this weight to where the creative functions almost in the same realm as like clergy. Uh, but you have all these other gifted people within the church that have nothing to do with like art 
they just are are functioning well in the body. And so what you need to do is help the creative to assimilate into this body. And that actually makes them better artists because it's in that context where they learn to not pursue the spotlight, but pursue serving others, where they learn how their art can actually help people flourish because they're being trained to serve others, not to serve themselves artistically. Yeah, and in a selfish aspect of that too, as an artist, what you're actually doing is you're pushing yourself into different worlds. You're actually, your art's actually growing uh, through the tension that you're feeling at that particular moment. You're, as a story writer, you're hearing different voices who can fill your story later, uh, who are also filling the narrative of your own story. So what it's doing is it's, it's, it's just, uh, I mean, it's the kingdom of God coming to bear on your life. Uh, and then how God and the Spirit works through that to push through the sort of the prism of your creative work can be absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like each person in your church and each pain and uh, challenge that you wrestle with is giving you a different color to paint with. Without all those different perspectives and all those different points of pain and experience, the artist would have a very narrow view of life. And so his coloring is going to be very monochromatic. And so you need the diversity of the body to help you flourish creatively. So one of the things that we, we talk about quite a bit on this podcast is this, uh, the recovering nature of who we are as, as fallen sinners, that we are both positionally in Christ, seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of God the Father. He looks at us through uh, the blood of Christ, um, and we're still completely wretched and jacked up. And it seems like for an artist, um, it seems like there's almost like this expectation that their art is a full, fully orbed theological treatise of something, you know, just that nails the uh, um, some aspect of Christianity or our faith, or that it's completely, you know, wretched and worldly and other. How, how as an artist do you exist in that space? And what recommendations would you give to artists about living in that place that lives out that progressive part of our sanctification in our art in a healthy way? Yeah, from, from my standpoint, <clears throat> I try to help people see their arts and their work as a long game. Uh, a lot of times people, especially the church, is, is pushing into them that you have to have, like you were saying earlier, you have to have everything formalized, you have to have to everything, uh, like you've got to capture somehow the, the Nicene Creed in every painting or every song that you do, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, I want to say those things should be affecting you your theology should be affecting you but that doesn't mean that that has to be expressed in every single aspect of your work at that particular point just like the lord is progressively unfolding his story throughout scripture so can your art do the same thing so sometimes that means that you're down in the weeds of life and you're thinking through and conceptualizing and trying to image that uh, to the world. And that's good. And you should do that. Uh, simultaneously, the next time you may be up in the transcendent, you may be thinking about the heavenlies. And so really, in, in, in a way, like even the way you set it up, the art should be pinging back and forth between those two. The fact is, both of those aspects of their life should be affecting the artist consistently. Uh, it doesn't mean that they have to be expressed 
in every piece of work that they do. What it means is over time, there should be a whole canon of their work that is demonstrating these type, bo- both of these aspects. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and pastors could probably do a better job at, at uh, being more charitable. Like, so you take creative out of the, uh, out of the discussion and you just, you talk about a new convert in your church, right? So this person just uh, comes to trust Jesus. Um, that dude's life is going to be fleshed out in some really weird ways for probably the first two years. And you're going to come alongside and you're going to have patience with that person. Well, he's a new, you know, he's a baby Christian. He's going to be thinking wrongly about a lot of things. And it's our job to be charitable and gently correct and guide them. And the same thing exists with creatives. You got to just think about it in terms of discipleship. The creative is just working out what he knows. And so what you do is you come alongside of him with charity and say, brother, <clears throat> this, is, this is amazing. This is beautiful. Let me help you think about what you're doing. And let's, let's help you think about the theology behind what you're creating. And you practice charity instead of criticizing, like, what, fool? You know, it's just like, uh, so we would just be better uh, pastors if we practiced a little bit of charity and had a, had a proper expectation. Like, our artists are not theologians. We want to help them be theologians in their art. But that's a process that takes time and patience and charity. And here's how you do that as a pastor. You remember yourself when you were preaching 20 years ago. <laughs> you, know, you remember your first sermon yes. and you compare it to what's going on now. Like it's the same thing with the art. Like the pastor. Oh, you, yeah. and I have burned some old sermons. <laughs> I know. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the thing that you thought that you had created that was the most amazing sermon. Like it's your third sermon you've ever done and it's the best sermon ever. Yeah. You don't want anybody else to hear that ever again, much less yourself. And so just, I mean, seeing that trajectory with the artist in your world, the artist in your church, uh, I, I think that's really, really something that you can sort of pinpoint for charity's sake, yeah. So I guess that raises an important question, and that is, is there such a thing as bad art? And if there is, what is it? Yeah, you want to, this is you, man. This is you. I, I don't know if I want to be on record with this statement. <laughs> There are such things as bad servants. I could be on record on that I one. I do think that there is bad art. I do. I think, um, but I think even in bad art, we can be more charitable. In this, okay, in a sense, um, I always talk about the, the absolute foolishness of preaching. That in, you know, I'll sit here and I'll labor on a sermon and, and, uh, 85% of what I research, I don't preach on. And then I ad lib two lines in my sermon and people come up and say those ad lib lines were life changing and it's foolishness. And then someone came up to me last week and said, Hey, I remember the first sermon I ever heard you preach. And in my mind, I'm running through, please no, please no. And they brought up one of the worst sermons I had ever preached. Um, and their recollection of it 15 years ago is it changed their life. And so I wonder if there is a parallel to art. that God. There's a foolishness in art that God uses somehow to paint, a, to show the world his beauty. Of course. I mean, I think about when I first became a Christian. Um, and the and the art that I was creating as a very, you know, a, a very well a new kind of liberal Christian, I'm embarrassed of of those songs. Those those songs haunt me that they actually are in existence. And there are people 
who I would consider to be mature Christians who engage with me and say, you know, when, when you did this song, this actually spoke to me. I look at it and I just think, oh, that's just horrible and bad. And the theology was not developed and all that stuff. But God is in the business of using broken people, foolish people, uh, to, uh, to, build his, to build his people up. And so I, I, I really do, I trust that God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. I, I really do trust that. Here, here's what I would add to that too, is the reality is <clears throat> the impulse is not to counterfeit. Uh, the impulse is not to create uh, a knockoff sermon or to, to you're, you're, you're being responsible in your pursuit or you're within, within the framework that you're in at that particular point. So I think in a lot of ways it ties back to motive. Like what's your motive in this? If you're just trying to make a buck, if you're just trying to like put something up on the walls uh, that that is going to be that, that you could put on every single wall in the hotel um, with with your painting. Then you, you may need to rethink you know what your aesthetic choices are. You may need to rethink some yes. aspects of that. But if your motives are to create something good, I, I I think even though it may be bad at that particular time, that's still part of your story, and the goal is still connected to a proper motive. Now the way to develop that's going to take time as well. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are ways to say that, you know, there are objective things that make specific types of art good. And we can, we can hone in. It's not all just subjective, um, that there are, there are good things uh, attached to that. So. so talk a little bit about the Canvas conference that you guys have um, been involved with, that you guys have, I think, had three or so of these so far. Um, uh, just what is it? Um, yeah, well, the Canvas Conference, I can tell you how it started. So uh, Ryan and I were talking about, um, well, Ryan actually asked me to be a part of a class he was teaching at Western. And uh, the class was going to be something to the effect of helping uh, reconcile creativity and theology, right? Is that what it was? And so we started thinking about that. And then really, I think I just, I stressed Ryan way out, like just said, hey, we should, instead of doing this, let's just make it a bigger event. And so this kind of classroom idea ended up being like this conference. And really our aim was how can we engage with the creative community um, to help them think uh, theologically about their creativity. I mean, it's one thing to just look at creatives and say, oh, these guys just have horrible theology and just cast judgment on them and just really uh, paint them in a bad light. It's another thing to come alongside of them and say, hey, we care about you. And we care about the theology that undergirds your creativity. So let's walk with you. And so we just got a bunch of people that we know who do it really well um, and put them in a room and invited a bunch of creatives to this conference and just had a conversation uh, with a lot of lights and a lot of music. Um, and so really that has been the, the aim of the Canvas Conference is to help creatives think theologically about their creativity, but also to help theologians to think creatively about their theology. So it's really taking these two worlds that kind of live typically in opposition with each other and marry them. And then, you know, this year we actually, our, our whole focus was on reconciling the church and creativity, helping the creative appreciate and, and understand the, 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 the reason why the church exists and how they can be a part of this 
And then also helping the church to understand the, the value of the creative and the way that the Holy Spirit has gifted them for their work. And so reconciling that relationship that in many ways seems very fractured in our culture. Um, so yeah, we, we are pretty passionate about that. And, and I think so far the Canvas Conference has gone really well. Um, and yeah, Lord willing, we can continue to keep doing it. I think people are encouraged by it. Oh, I know I am. Oh, I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I remember a number of years ago, you, um, with Beautiful Eulogy, you came and performed at our church. And it was uh, I, my son, who is now uh, in high school, he's 17 years old. Uh, he and a friend have... Uh, They've been working on their artistry and their music uh, in a lot of ways inspired by what you guys did when you were here. And so, uh, in fact, the the opening and closing music we've got for this uh, podcast was created by these guys. And uh, so just thank you for the impact that you've had on the creatives in our community here as well. And just uh, I love that idea of helping the the theologians be more creative and the creatives be more theological. Just thanks for all your work on that, and hopefully that this book will uh, get a lot of other people to be able to start having these conversations, and uh, I'm excited to see what God's going to continue to do in your guys' ministry. Thank you, brother. Thank, Thank you. you that was great talking with you. And that's a wrap. That's it for uh, season one of the Recovering Hypocrite podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on this season. As I said, sometime in the next couple weeks here in December, I am going to throw out a bonus uh, interview with really myself talking about my new book coming out next year. So if you don't care about those sorts of things, you can just skip that one. And until next year, uh, um, adios. Have a great Christmas, a great new year, and we'll see you sometime early in 2019 when we launch season two of the Recovering Hypocrite podcast. See you later.